Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to John, the book of John, chapter 14. And we've been in a series, if you're a guest, talking about a toolbox that we all carry around in life. It's a toolbox that is all about vision and values. And I'll say it again and again and again, but everybody, every day, when you get up, every moment, all the time, you're functioning out of this toolbox that you're carrying. You're all carrying one. The toolbox matters to you because the toolbox is the vision by which you live. It's why you carry it. It's what you believe and deem to be important. The tools that you have within the box are your values. Hence again, why you carry this toolbox, you want to keep it close to you because this is what you, if you will, make all your decisions, all your choices. Everybody in this room has a vision for their life. It's why you do what you do. It's why you go where you go. And everybody has values by which those decisions are made. It's what you see is important. It's what is the, if you will, the depth of your heart. And so we're walking through, if you will, when it comes to this church, this family, this body that God so died for, of which I believe with all my heart, that God did not die for you individually, even though individually your sins were crucified on the cross. For the moment that you give your life to Jesus, you become a part of something corporately known as his church. And we may disagree, I'm okay with that. But as the pastor of this church, I will die for that. The local church is the hope of the world. The church matters. And so when people come up to me, and they say, well, listen, you know, I, I, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. That's biblical heresy from my standpoint. You do not believe the word of God is God's word, and therefore you do not govern it accordingly, and therefore it's probably not in your toolbox, something that you value. Because I hear, well, the church is full of sinners. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> that may be the brightest and smartest thing you've actually said. Yes, it is. The difference is we're here because we're willing to admit it and we're trying to do something about it, if, if I could say it in that simplistic way. But for you to neglect God's bride based upon its people means you don't even understand who Christ really is. Vision and values, we all have them. And your life is being governed according, accordingly. And I want to help you understand what the vision and values of this church is. And so we began to talk about who Jesus was, what it really means to be in the example of Christ, that he saw people and to have eyes that see as he sees and to actually care about the things that God cares about and then to do something about it. Because to care and not do is not even to care at all. And then we talked about what really matters. Three fundamental questions that we need to ask in our lives. I'm not going to give you those again, but now I want to talk about the fact that heaven is not for everyone. 
And I want to say it again. Heaven is not for everyone. And it greatly concerns me because it seems to be in the American tradition that we've bought into some myths that aren't true. And you see it in the moment of death. But I want to help you understand something about it. I read about a Michigan couple who decided to go to Florida to get away from the winter. <laughs> Obviously, they're very wise people. <laughs> they planned to stay at the exact same hotel where they had spent their honeymoon 35 years prior. But in light of their hectic schedules, they wouldn't be able to travel together. So he left on Thursday while his wife would fly out the very next day. When he checked into the hotel room, he discovered that they now have computers in the room, so he decided to send his wife an email. However, without realizing it, he accidentally let off a le left off a letter in her email address and hit send. Meanwhile, somewhere in Texas, a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. You see, he had been a, he had been a pastor and died suddenly of a heart attack. When she got home, she decided to check her email, expecting messages from her family and friends. When she read this message, she screamed and fainted. Instantly, her husband rushed, or her son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, looked up at the computer screen, and he read the following. To my loving wife, subject, I've arrived. Date, January 17th, 2004. Here was the message. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers in the rooms now, so I thought I'd send you an email. <laughs> I just arrived and checked in and found that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It's stinking hot down here. <laughs> I think I heard someone just say, that's terrible. <laughs> For who? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever taken a word association test. You know what I'm talking about? It's where you're given a word and then you're supposed to say the very next thing that comes to your mind. Like if I say the word hot, you might say cold. If I say apple, you might say pie. If I say house, you might say home. If I say Congress, you'd probably say criminal, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but what word or words would come to your mind, and this is important, if I said the word heaven? What if I said the word hell? I want you to think about that for a moment. Because the good news is, is that most people believe that there is a heaven. Most people believe it. Unfortunately, the problem is most of it think of it like the widow Douglas in Mark Twain's adventures of Huckleberry Finn, who described heaven as all you do is go around all day with a harp and sing forever and ever and ever. And then the movie worlds come along and they confuse us even more. For example, in the TV series, The Good Place, heaven is depicted as some sort of utopia 
where angel Ted Danson, which now I'm already having a problem, okay, allows only the good people to come in, which is very interesting because in the first season's final episode, you discover real quickly that Ted Danson is not the angel letting the good people in. He's actually of the devil. And it's not even the utopia you think of in the first place. How about the movie Defending Your Life? Heaven is betrayed as an eternal fun factory where you're always happy, have amazing superpowers, and can do whatever you want, when you want. Now, one of the good things is you can eat all the carbs you want because there's no calories in heaven. And all of God's people said, okay. I could go on and on. Where TV and the movie world and and things that we subscribe through and the conversations we have of what heaven is. But there's a problem. Almost everything that I've heard from the lips of people displayed upon the television or a movie screen or even read in a book are not biblical. None of them are scriptural. And yet how many of us have bought into it? What heaven is not. And it's to that that I want to speak. I think Charles Spurgeon has it best when he says, Oh, the day when we meet in heaven and we shall see how little we actually knew about it on earth. There's a lot that we don't know about heaven. But I'm going to tell you some things we better know right here and now. Or you're never going to experience it. Because heaven is not for everyone. I want to say that again, there's a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of things that we've bought into. There's a lot of lies and myths we've chose to believe. And none of them are true. There's a lot we don't know, but there are some things we do know, and the Bible is very clear. And it's that that I want to help you with. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to John 14. John 14, and Jesus is going to speak about heaven. He's going to talk about what forever really is. And it's the opening line that I just find interesting. So if you got your Bibles again, John 14, I'm beginning in the very first verse. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. And yet if there is a subject that creates so much disarray, frustration, confusion, and concern, I contend it's the very word heaven. That's why I played this word association. What comes to mind? Did the two words can't wait? See, death is an interesting thing when it comes to the human dilemma, which I don't understand it. You start talking about death and people start to get very concerned. But yet from the Christian standpoint, it's in death, which is the final chapter in the page of sin turns and life now begins. Why do we fear the very gift that God's going to give it to heaven? It's not earth. What is it about us that we're so wanting to be about what we know rather than who we know? 
which is really an issue of faith, is it not? That our faith is only good by what we see, which is always going to get us in trouble. But that faith is the assurance of what we do not see, but we know is true because God promised it to be so. What is it about heaven? What is it about life? What is it about death? And yet Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. He goes on to say, trust in God as you trust in me. My father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you? My house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place? Think about that. If you want to circle a word, circle this word prepare. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back in emphatic reality. If I go, I will come back and take you to be with me that also may be where I am. By the way, do you know what he's saying? He's not compartmentalizing what you and I think sometimes heaven is, that somehow, and I've even poorly have told you this, and for that I ask for forgiveness, that somehow when we get to heaven, Gabriel's going to be up there leading worship, and we're going to somehow be sitting in a room like this, and every now and then Jesus is going to come out and preach. That somehow God has got a place in heaven that's this unbelievable castle, probably the largest of homes, And every now and then we might be invited to have a feast at his table, or at least we may be out in public and he'll come walking by and we're like, whoa, that's God. But what Jesus just said was this. Heaven is really a cool place. I don't know why your heart is be troubled. If I go, I will come back for you that you will be with me. That where I am, you will also be which means that in heaven, Jesus isn't someone we're going to meet. He's here, 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 he's everywhere. But I think that's the problem. See, heaven doesn't contain God. God contains heaven. And I think that's partly the problem. Because we like control so much, even when we think we've surrendered the troll, we like a place forever that maybe there is a moment I can be away from God and sort of be okay with me. Which means you never got him in the first place. I will have no other gods before me. This is an incredible moment. Why would you let your heart be troubled? I'm going to a place and when I come back and get you, You will always be in my presence and I will be in your presence. That's great news. Verse four, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. But the Thomas, one of his disciples says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and this may be a moment that some of you may all of a sudden do, which really always crazy, which now you don't agree with what I say. So therefore you got to get up and let everybody know that you don't. And then you got to leave the room. I am not a universalist. 
meaning every other religion, religion does not serve the same God I do. Let me just say it again. I'm not a universalist. Other religions don't serve the same God, despite the back of former president once said, we all serve the same God. No, we don't. I could go on and on and help you with this. There is but one God who gave us one savior and his name is Jesus Christ. And no one gets to heaven outside of him. If that would be true, then what we're doing right now is beyond foolishness. The gospel is very clear. I am the way, the truth. No one, no one gets to the Father except through me. No one. Jesus is Savior and Jesus wants to be Lord. Look what he goes on to say, verse 7. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him or you do know him and you have seen him. And then Philip says, but Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Talk about a crisis of decision. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, and I think these are the words, not only for, for Philip, for Thomas, for the disciples of that day, I believe it's for the church now. You don't know me yet? Do you not know me? How many of us in this room have been to the church camp, have sat in the church, who have the word of God sitting in right in front of us, and we still don't even know him? Do you not know me? Heaven isn't for everyone. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And then these three words, don't you believe? Don't you believe? I'm going to give you three truths about heaven, but it's the third one I'm going to play with for a while. We're going to dig into, and I want you to catch this real quick. Write this down. Heaven is a place. Say that with me. Heaven is a place. Or as the title of the famed movie states, heaven is for real. It is for real. But here's the deal, and I don't want you to miss this. There is eternal life after death. But just as true, there is an eternal death after life. You choose. Heaven isn't for everyone. Someone once said, why would a good God send anyone to hell? A good God doesn't. He never has. Unfortunately, there's just a bunch of his creation that choose to go to hell. The choice isn't God's, it's yours. He gave you the gift. It just sickens me and saddens me that so many don't want it. They just don't want it. Heaven is a place, but here's second. Heaven is a prepared place. Heaven is not just a place, it's a prepared place. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place. 
And you know what Paul says? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, and no mind can imagine what he has prepared. He's not trying to freak you out. He's trying, if you will, fuel you up. See, here's the deal. Again, there's a lot of things we don't know about heaven, but one thing is crystal clear for me. This is a prophet of Tommy Boy moment. It's gonna be awesome. It's going to be beyond anything you can imagine. That's why it hurts my heart when people try to tell me what heaven is. And they almost say it with a sense of, of, of regret or disgust. Like, yeah, what is he doing? Oh my goodness. I don't know what you think. But Paul says what in Ephesians? You let your mind just go and go and go. And you won't even get to where God's going to begin. When Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Oh, oh, come on. Someone wet your pants in the name of Jesus. But it's this third truth I don't want you to miss. It's the third one. Heaven is a place. Heaven is a prepared place. But heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Heaven is a place. It's a prepared place. But it's only for those who are prepared. See, I know when grief strikes, and I want everybody to hear this, and, and someone we love dies, we want hope, don't we? We somehow want the pastor to, to, to tell us what maybe we know isn't true. We want them to provide the just maybe but that's not hope. Hope is not ever to the child of God of just maybe. Hope is an emphatic reality. That's why I don't think so many people get hope. So we want a hope that assures us that we're going to be with them forever. But I have to tell you something as your pastor. I cannot make certain for you what someone you loved chose to disregard. I can't give you a false hope when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And they didn't want that. I can't do that. But let me tell you what I can do for you as your pastor. I can tell you some God truths that if you really want to know with certainty where our loved ones will be after they die, here's the first thing you need to know. Heaven is not for good people. Boy, was that quiet. Good people will not be in heaven. Heaven is not for good people. Good people will not be in heaven. See, it doesn't matter how good you might think you've been or how good you may believe you can become. It will never be good enough. And yet I hear those words, but he was such a good father. She was such a good mother. He was such a great guy. Can I tell you what the Bible says? Everybody look up here. Hell, 
Good people don't go to heaven. Good people go to hell. So we don't want to hear that, do we? See, I can take you to 1 Corinthians 13. You know that passage that we always subscribe to marriage? Which maybe if we actually listen to it, it might actually change marriage. But Paul says what? I don't care if you could fathom all mysteries. If you have not love, hell. I don't care if you burn your life or get burned at the stake for the sake of what you think is right. But you have not that love, hell. You give all that you have to the poor. But you have not that love, hell. Heaven is not for good people. It's just not. Please hear this. God doesn't grade on a curve. He graded on the cross. And no one is that good. Good means nothing to God. And yet if you ask someone right now, if you were to die right now and stand before God and he asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? You know what the most common answer I hear is? Well, I've been a pretty good person. I mean, it's not like I was a murderer or something. Interesting. Which creates the illusion that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. It's what the rich young ruler thought. You know, the guy who went to Jesus and you know what he said? What good must I do to inherit eternal life? That was his question. You know what Jesus says? No one's good enough. No one is. Only God is good. And yet, according to a recent survey, 90% of American Christians believe that being good enough is good enough to get them into heaven. 90% of American Christians believe. And remember, they only say this because they don't know what the word says. They believe that good enough is good enough to get them into heaven. Now, here's where it gets really scary. 53% of that 90% believe they've earned it and they deserve it. I read that 10% of today's church members can't even be found. 10% of the people who signed their name said, I want to be a member of that church. They just disappeared. They haven't died. We just don't know where they're at. 20% of church members in America don't even attend church anymore. 25% admit to never praying and 35% say they don't even read the Bible. 40% tell us they never contribute to the church and truth be told, they go on to say, and I don't plan on it. 60% have never given to a mission. 70% have never served anywhere. 85% have never invited anyone to church and 95% have never won anyone to Jesus Christ. And yet, the 100% of them, just ask them, expect to go to heaven. And almost every time it'll be because they'll point at me, not look up here. Who are you to judge? No, I don't. 
you may want to do this. Who are you to judge? Why am I your measuring stick? And yet Paul stated emphatically, we're all sinners. Every one of us in the same sinking boat with everybody else. There is no one who does good enough. Not even one. You might want to write this down. Our good is not good enough. It never will be. And we better get this. The Bible says in Romans 3, we've all fallen short. And Paul tells us the wages of falling short is death. Even the prophet Isaiah wrote, is there any hope for us? Can anything save us? No, we're all sin infected, sin contaminated. Our good is not good enough. We are grease stained rags. That's it. Heaven's not for good people. This one might shock you. You ready? Here's the second thing I want to tell you about heaven. Heaven's for bad people who will admit it. Heaven's not for good people. Because see, when good is understood, it's this idea, but I was moralistic. I, I tried to, I tried, I tried, and yet the Bible says you're saved by grace, not of your works. So no matter how hard you try, you will never get you to heaven. By the way, just so you know, in James chapter two, you know what James tells us? Go ahead, try. Here's, he, he literally says this. He says, you need to understand something. Okay, good enough won't get you to heaven, but let me, let me tell you something about you. The slightest of sin is enough to keep you out. He literally says in James chapter two, get all the law right. But when you mess up on the slightest of one, you're as guilty as getting them all wrong. Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people do. My dad always says that there's only two types of people on planet earth. Sinners and sinners saved by grace. That's it. Ain't no good people. We all deserve hell, but we don't want to admit that. But it's when we admit that, that things change. I just told you, no one can go to heaven who's ever sinned. It's only those who are perfect without sin who can dwell in the internal presence of God, which means what? No one's getting in. Which, by the way, is exactly what God wanted. Did you know that? He had to remove anything and everything of that which we think we can do so we finally give up and let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. It's Jesus who became what you and I couldn't become. And in him, we can have life eternal. But I think this is gonna be difficult for us, especially in a country that's so good. <laughs> you see, some years ago in a small rural church in England, a pastor noticed that a former thief was kneeling at the communion rail alongside one of England's finest, a Supreme Court judge, who just happened to be the judge a few years prior that sentenced this thief to seven years in prison. Here they are at the altar together. After the service, the judge and the pastor went walking. The judge spoke first. Did you see who was kneeling beside me today at the communion rail? Sure did, said the pastor. 
They continued walking on. What a miracle of grace, said the judge. Oh, yes, it is, said the pastor. At that, the judge stopped. To whom are you referring, he asked. Why, the thief, said the pastor, to which the judge said, no, I was referring to me. Confused, the pastor asked, what do you mean? Well, you have to understand that that thief knew how much he needed Jesus, not me. For you see, I was taught from childhood to be a good man, to live a good life, to be a gentleman, to keep my word, to say my prayers and go to church. So I went to Oxford, got a law degree and was called by the bar where I eventually became a judge. It was at that tears began to run down his cheeks. Watch this. Nothing but the grace of God in the midst of all my pride and self-righteousness could have ever gotten me to understand that I am no better in the eyes of God than that thief of whom I had sent to prison. There's only two types of people. Bad ones and bad ones who will admit they need God's grace. See, heaven begins when we get this, when we admit this, when we die to ourselves and we pick up the cross of Jesus and let him crucify us there and we begin to follow him taking on a new nature, which is not our nature, which is his nature. Heaven's not for good people. Heaven's for bad people who admit it. But there's a third that I want you to get. Heaven is to be now. Heaven is to be now. Heaven's not something that's coming. Heaven is right here, right now to be lived out. And if we really got this, our lives would change dramatically. I don't know if you've ever heard these words. Has someone ever said this in your presence? Man, they're so kingdom-minded, they're no earthly good. You ever heard those words? They're so heavenly-minded, they're just no earthly good. I want you to think about that as if spending time with God is a bad thing. See, I couldn't disagree more. For me, the Bible says, the more time I spend with my heavenly father, the more of the earthly blessing I will become. For a kingdom mindset has a kingdom impact and an earthly mindset has an earthly one. But here's where I think we struggle. It's in the classic hymn, Rock of Ages. Maybe you've heard it. The words go, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed, and here it comes, be of sin the devil cure. Be of sin the devil cure, and here it is, saved from wrath to make me pure. See, I I think it's the first one of the devil cure we like, saved from wrath, that God so loved that he gave us Christ that we don't get what we deserve, what we get a gift that's incredible called eternal life, right? But it's the second part of the cure that I think we miss and what heaven's all about, to make me pure, to walk in the example of Christ, that a new nature, not a nature that's to come, but a nature that's supposed to be in us here and now. 
I think that's the problem. See, the word pure means living right now with a heart that wants to be fully devoted to God. It's a want to become, watch this, it's the want to become the person of which heaven is for. And I think therein lies the problem. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Isn't that what we want? Why are we acting like we have to wait? He's not a distant God. He's a personal relational God. And the God who's there, you ready for this? Is the same God who's here right now. There's just something missing. Heaven's in my heart. Jesus didn't come to get heaven. Are you ready for this? Jesus didn't come to get us into heaven, which by the way is a good deal, right? Jesus came to get heaven into us. Isn't that what he said when the disciples said, teach us to pray? And he said, what? He said, thy kingdom come, my will, thy will be done on earth right now as it is in heaven. We don't have to wait and we shouldn't wait. I'd say this, if you're waiting, it's probably because you don't get it yet. The cross of Jesus was never meant to be some sort of life insurance policy. So you're covered. The cross of Christ was God's life transformational strategy that in Jesus we can live right now heavenly, expectantly, passionately, because heaven is in my heart. Look what David prayed. This is in Psalm 139, and I don't want you to miss it because so many people read it and then they fail to finish it. He said, search my heart, O God. He's literally in prayer. Remember, this is the guy in the book of Acts. The Bible said, this is a man after God's own heart. This is David who committed adultery. This is David, if you will, who murdered the husband so he could keep the wife. This is David who tried to play that game and cover things up. But when the prophet came and said, you're the man, you need to make things right. David didn't justify, point the finger nor hide behind his credentials. His prayer was, God, search me. Search my heart. Test me. See if there's any offensive way in me. David's saying, God, I want to be right with you now. I don't want to live like me. I want to live like you. But then he adds these words, and then the most significant words. As he prays and says, God, search me, he says this, and then lead me in the way of everlasting. I'll confess. The Bible says we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to what? Forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But why would he do that? Not just to save us from wrath, but that he would put heaven in our heart. Can I just say humorously? Can I tell you the difference between now and then is when I'm in heaven, I don't have to deal with you anymore. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> see, I, I just, yeah, you don't have to deal with me. Actually, you do because I'm going to be there. Anyway, um, and we're probably roommates. So, because God has a sense of humor. <laughs> That's why he made me. Um, 
but lead me in the way of everlasting. I heard it said, but for God to do this, to get heaven into us, he often will have to beat the hell out of us. (laughs) And you know what some of that hell is? Can I tell you what some of that hell is? Our bad thinking about heaven. Heaven is not for good people. That's wrong thinking. That's hell thinking. Heaven's for bad people. And there's no good in us. And some of you are struggling right now because see, you're so fearful of what is to come, you can't get your eyes off the one who can give you everything that you can imagine. You're gonna, you're gonna get up, you may not even come back because you're gonna, but ah, all this stuff I did. As if God's gonna go, oh, that's Michael Jordan, dude. I think the greatest player of all time, which that's what God would say. Anyway, just wanna end the debate. But that's the, that's the greatest, that's, oh my goodness. You know what God's gonna say? He didn't have hang time. My Jesus jumped up. He hadn't even come down yet. As if somehow anybody on Shark Tank's gonna walk in and go, I hope they invest in me. You bring all the gold and God's go, great, brought more pavement. (laughs) Thanks, appreciate it. Gain the whole world, lose your soul. And the only answer to that soul is Jesus Christ. It will not be you and there'll be nothing you can ever do that's good enough. You will never, by the way, here's a wrong question. We've said it. We we, we use these words and they're wrong words and I need to ask for forgiveness. God isn't going to go, what did you do with my Jesus? Because whatever we did is not good enough. You know what he's going to ask you when you stand before him? Who are you? And you know what Jesus said in Matthew? Many on that day will say, didn't we do these great miracles? Didn't we do all this great stuff? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. All do is, is do, 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 do. (laughs) It's not what we do, it's who we are. Or better said, whose we are. You don't have to agree with me. I just have to tell you as the pastor of this church, what we believe the word of God makes crystal. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. You can't be saved by works. There's nothing you will do that's good enough. But in me, all things are made new. And then fruit starts to happen. You can't fabricate it. We're going to talk about that next week. But when you abide in him, he abides in you. And guess what happens? Fruit starts happening. Because it's not what you have created. It's what he does through us because of what he's doing in us. Heaven's not for good people. Heaven's for bad people who will do the ABCs, admit who they're not, believe who he is, 
and commit their lives to him. And when they really get that, heaven starts today. Because heaven's in your heart. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life now and life to the full, to the full. I want to invite the team out, but I want to ask a couple questions. Do you really know him? Maybe the better question is, is, does he know you? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you just laid it down? doesn't mean you always get it right. But in the moment you don't, you want to. You see what I'm saying? You're just like, oh man, God. Oh, I'm reminded how much I just need you. I just need you. No one's good enough. You know, back in 1971, Led Zeppelin performed a song called Stairway to Heaven. In 1979, ACDC came out with a song entitled Highway to Hell. Now, I don't know this person, but someone took the two songs and made this incredible observation. The fact that there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven says a lot about the anticipated traffic patterns. But that's what Jesus said. In Matthew 7, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide and many will choose to go that way. I don't know why. I have no clue why. I'm sorry. I'll just pause there that someone in the name of faith and Christianity let you down. But what I'm more sorry about is you're going to let them and their life justify yours. The church is full of hypocrites. I'm probably the greatest. The church is full of sinners. I'm probably the reason I'm your pastor and leader is because no one's probably done more than me. Welcome to the family of God. But I love the church. Because you know why I'm here? Because I desperately need the one who gave us the church. And thinks I'm one good looking wife. Because that's what he says. My church is my bride. And I'll lay my life down for it every day. In every way. Jesus said I didn't say it. Wide is the gate that leads to hell. Wide. But the gateway to life is narrow. And the road is difficult. I I don't think it's difficult by the way we have to walk it. I think it's difficult that we're willing to admit it. Especially in this country. When there's so much emphasis that success is what you accomplish not about who you know. It's what we have. As if somehow that'll make you secure. Yeah, for a moment. But you still die. And you can't take any of it with you. Not a, not a dime. There's no luggage. 
And yet I wonder how many cemeteries are full, caskets full, that if we could exhume it all, we could probably pay off the national debt. Well, we just want mom or dad to take it with them. They're not taking it with them. It's still in a hole. Is that really what your mom and dad would want you, them for you to do? Is bury them with something that can make an impact in someone else's life? Is that what they taught you? We got one shot. It's right now. That's why I look at a pandemic that's going on and I say, it didn't change us, it exposed us. What are we freaking out about? Let not your heart be troubled. Do you know him? Does he know you? You know, I want to politely encourage you. I'm okay if you disagree. And, and I would encourage you to go to a different church if you need a perfect pastor. I don't say that to justify who I am because I want to be perfect. I desperately want to be perfect. I'm reminded every morning when I get up and I go for a walk who I'm not. And I'm so thankful that in the midst of who I'm not, he really loves me. But maybe the difference between you and I, and I just have to say this is, when I get up in the morning and recognize who I'm not, I don't let that justify who I'm not going to be. I'm going to do what Paul said. This one thing I do know, I haven't gotten it right yet, but there's one thing I do know. I'm going to press on to a much higher calling because greater is he that is in me than anything that's in the world. And laying my life down for Jesus is so worth it when he laid it down for me. Do you know him? I can't make that decision for you. And I don't know how you define ignorance, but ignorance to me would be if I get on a flight today and the pilot says, welcome to United 253. Glad you're on board. Just so you know, I'm new at this and about 50% of the time I don't land it. Okay. So I got a parachute, but what the heck, man, you know, it, it might be that 50 cents, 50% of the time we get to see our loved ones, but come on. Okay. I know nobody would get on that plane. And yet you will risk your eternal life for your pleasure today and a convenience of what you want and redefine the Bible for what you think it is. And you'll give your life to your friends who use less than 10% of their brain. And you will trust what man says who use less than 10% of their brain. And you will continue to forge risking 100% of your life for the possibility that 90%, if we could be opened up to it, 
might be completely wrong. See, that's just strange to me. I'd rather go to heaven friendless, knowing I have one friend, than go to hell and all of you are my best friends. Do you know him? Does he know you? He's not against you. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He has no expectations of you. He just wants to love you and show you life that you could never imagine any other way. He knows your anxious thoughts over your marriage that might be struggling or maybe now over. He knows the deepest concerns of your heart when it comes to your children and their children's children. He knows worries that you think about how am I going to provide for my family. But even more, he knows all those sins that you committed even last night. Thoughts you had, you shouldn't have had. Things you did, you shouldn't have done. Places you went, you shouldn't have been. And he loves you so much. He doesn't condemn you. We're already condemned in ourselves. That's why the Bible says there's no condemnation in him. He knew what we needed. Heaven. It is a place. It's a prepared place. But it's for prepared people. Father, I risk here because I'm not capable of your love. I want to be consumed by it. I want to yield in ways I've never yielded before. And I find real quickly things are very apparent in me. But in those, you don't show me those things to guilt me. You show me those things so I will surrender there. God, I'm very aware of the fact that how do I communicate to your creation when I'm one itself? How amazing you are. How much you love us. You're not against us. And you, you want to give us life, life to the full. We don't have to try. We don't have to work. We don't have to get up and rest in the guilt. In Jesus, we're free. And it changes when we begin to rest in that, that heaven is in our heart and that your will is that we would come here on earth now. We don't have to wait for it. Just receive it. I don't know where you're at right now and I don't even know if I've done a good enough job to explain things to you because I'm very aware of who I'm not. But I'm trusting that every time I open my lips that even in my humanity, God can do something that's supernatural. And He has spoken in your heart. 
Maybe there's a person you're going to have to call today and say, listen, I need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe there's someone that you've judged them as the friend they were not instead of you owning up the friend you need to be. Whatever it is. God, I just want to be obedient. I don't want to live life in a rear view mirror. I want to look out the windshield of a highway that brings life. And that can happen now. I want to be transformed. That in one breath that I stop breathing, I'll be home with the Father. I want in that same breath that that home right now is in me and that people would see it, that people would know that and that my life would be accordingly. I don't know how to tell you to pray. I know that the Bible says when the Holy Spirit moves, maybe we don't know how to pray, but he'll show us how. He'll give us the words, whatever those are right now. I'm just saying, would you pray them? Would you be as David and say, God, search me, know me, show me, and lead me in the way of everlasting? God, may that be our heart. May that be our cry. May that be our longing that the world would know you are Lord. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.